Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Would you open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1 as we continue this study through this incredible New Testament letter that Paul wrote from prison to the church at Philippi. Today we're going to talk about finding joy in Christ and community. If you think about the American dream, the phrase that's built into the fabric of our, of our, the DNA of our society, we have this right to have the, the, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Isn't that interesting that that's tagged on to their life and liberty? Those are two very big things, aren't they? I mean, that I think that's great, but the pursuit of happiness, is that really and truly what we're all about? I think it has become more and more of what our nation is about. I, I was doing some study about um, some leaders. Alexander the Great was found weeping in his tent after he'd conquered the world, and this is what he was crying about. He said, I'm weeping because there are no more worlds for me to conquer. He had reached the pinnacle. He was the, the greatest general, had the greatest campaign in, in military history, and it was empty. There was no joy. Tom Brady, after winning, I think, three Super Bowls, made this statement, is this all there is? That says to me that people are not aware of the fact that gaining joy doesn't come from getting stuff, achieving things, being uh, someone who's accomplished a goal that you've had. It's much, much deeper than that. Back in the third century, St. Cyprian wrote a, a letter to a friend named Donatus. And listen, listen to what he said. He said, it's a really bad world, Donatus, an incredibly bad world. Yet in the midst of it, I have found a quiet and holy people. They have discovered a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of this sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they are not, that they care not. These people, Donatus, are the Christians and I am one of them. That's the third century. What he said is, the world is full of what people think will make them happy, but it doesn't. I found a people, he said. I found a people, and they're called Christians, and they are people that have joy beyond that. Ancient Rome was much like America today. It was a consumerist society. It was filled with games, fun, sexual pleasure, parties, theater, all of that stuff. But Paul says in this book that we're studying now in the book of Philippians that there's a joy that goes deeper than the pleasures of this world. So if you would follow as I read aloud from chapter 1, verse 3. Paul writes in the introduction to this letter, this prayer, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. Always praying with joy for all of you in my, prayer, in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to think this way, or some translations say to feel this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart. And you are all partners with me in the grace, both in imprisonment and in the defense and establishment of the gospel. For God is my witness, how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. 
We're going to look at this part of Paul's prayer, part of Paul's introduction to the church at Philippi and learn some real reasons that we can find joy. The key is that joy is found in Christ and Christ alone, not in performing, not in achieving goals, not in having a trouble-free life. It's in Christ and Christ alone. Paul prayed different prayers for each of the churches he wrote. It's not a generic prayer in all of his letters. And what he does in his prayers, he makes it very specific. And the church at Philippi meant so much to him. This is a very personal, personal prayer. He's saying, I have this special bond with the church at Philippi. And he's saying to them, I identify with you with this incredible communion that we have in Christ. So Paul is going to work on four things. Look at four things here that Paul is is challenge, challenging them and challenging us that we can find true joy in. The first one is we can know that there's true joy in prayer. Know the joy of prayer. If you're taking notes, that's number one. Look at verse three and four again. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. Paul says, in my prayer life, there is joy because of this partnership that we have. So let's look at three things about that joy of prayer. First of all, there's gratitude from Paul despite inner conflict, internal conflict. Gratitude despite internal conflict. Now, the church at Philippi is one of the the best churches in the New Testament. There's unity, there's support, they're mission-minded, they're supporting Paul, they're praying for one another. But when we get to chapter four, we're gonna learn that there was some disunity there. Paul mentions two ladies by name in chapter four. This conflict in in verse two, Paul says to them, I I urge these two ladies to get along. I urge these two to, to make right whatever's wrong. And he calls them by name. It's as if he would call out, can you believe that, that what it must have been like to be that congregation and they're reading this letter from the Apostle Paul and you're one of those ladies? And I want to say this to Lucy and Ethel, you know, and they're, get along. So there was internal conflict in the church at Philippi, but as you notice this, Paul says, I give thanks for all of you. Here's a pastor, what a model for me, to give thanks for even the folks that, that can't get along with me. To give thanks for even the people that can't get along with one another. Paul says, I'm gonna have gratitude despite this internal conflict. He, he knows that they're not perfect, but he thanks God and he prays for all of them. I love what Kent Hughes said. He said it this way, Paul rarely thanked God for things. Paul thanked God for people who, despite whatever trouble they may have been to him, They remain the source of joy and thanksgiving. Isn't that great? Paul writes this word of thanksgiving to the church at Philippi. You you look at 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Paul, Paul even thanks the people of the church at Corinth. Thanks God for those people. And they were a mess. He gives thanks for all folks. There's this gratitude, thanking God in spite of all that's going on. God, I'm thankful. You know, if you're a super critical person, you're gonna have a hard time being thankful. You're not going to be grateful for people, that's for sure. I found that folks that are, that are critical, they, they, they'll, they'll immerse themselves in doing things, but not working with people. Paul says, I, I'm, I realize that everybody's not perfect, but I give God thanks for all of you. And he prays for them. He intercedes for them. I wonder how many problems in the church today would disappear if we just prayed for one another. That's a a question that brings silence when people come to me when they're not happy with somebody else in the church. If I say, have you been praying for them? 
Did you not, Pastor, did you, not, did you just not hear what I told you they said about me? Did you not hear what I told you that they did? Paul says, I'm praying for you. What would happen if we prayed for one another? If we prayed for the person we don't get along with? And this is not the kind of prayer you want to pray. God, straighten them out. <laughs> Fix them. Did you hear what he said to me? Fix him. God, come down on her. Make sure she knows that you're a God of wrath. No. God, I want to pray for that person that, that whatever's going on in their life, Lord, you'd work it out. Lord, help me to understand where they are. Help me to understand what they're going through. Well, I'm finding the as we go through month eight now, month nine after Harvey, stuff is surfacing. I heard a man share a testimony yesterday. He said, I'm just grumpy all the time. This is a pastor. He said, I don't even want to get out of bed sometime. I'm so depressed. Stuff's starting to surface. We need to be praying for one another. Boy, if somebody jumps all over you and hammers you into the ground, anybody ever have that happen to you? <laughs> what do you want to do right back at them? Let them have it, right? Instead, could it be, Lord, what's going on in their life that I could pray for? Help me to be discerning enough to, to ask you, Lord, to work there. Help me to see life through their eyes. Paul was grateful in spite of, despite internal conflict. Secondly, he had some great memories despite hardship. Great memories despite hardship. Look at verse three. That, that great, he says, I thank God for every remembrance of you. I could say it another way. I thank God for all the memories I have about you, church. Well, he had some great memories of Philippi. He planted the church there. I mean, we saw that in the, inter in the introduction, looking back at Acts chapter 16, I think, where, where Paul lands there in Philippi and meets the ladies at the river and leads them to Christ, and then the Philippian jailer and the church is planted in Lydia's home. And they begin to encourage Paul, and even as he's away on, in, in prison, they're still sending things to him to encourage him, financial provision, great memories that Paul had with them. But there were hardships. Paul's in prison when he writes this. If I was writing this letter from prison, I would be talking about how bad I've got it. I'm just being honest with you. I would pray, Lord, help me to say something positive about this experience. <laughs> Paul didn't. Paul is thinking of them and their partnership, and these memories cause him to well up with joy. Listen, folks, don't allow the struggles of life to rob you of your joy. That's been one of my greatest lessons through Harvey is I went through the series on gratitude, and we wrote 30 Days of Gratitude. One of our men told me, he said, Pastor, when you asked us to take 30 days and write down things we're grateful for, I thought you were crazy. I thought you'd lost it. It's not the first time I've been told that. But he said, after 30 days, you know what? There's this sense of, God, there's so much we have to be grateful for. So memories, great memories in spite of hardship. I love what Tony Meredith says. When you think about the struggles that might rob your joy, he says this, recognize that Jesus has already taken care of your greatest problem through the cross and the resurrection. I don't know what your problems are. I don't know what your struggles are right now. A lot of us have very common struggles that are dealing with everything recovering from the hurricane. But let me tell you, no matter how bad your problems are, the worst problem you have is a sin problem. And Jesus took care of that. He didn't say, I'm going to come fix your car. However, I found out this week that my car got totaled in the hurricane. 
I just now got it to the insurance guys. He doesn't doesn't say, I'm going to make sure everything's perfect for you in every area of your life. He said, but I will deal with the sin problem. What else could we want? What else could we ask for? What a memory that is. Lord Jesus, I have joy because of what you've done for me. Listen, when you're discouraged and when you're struggling, whether it's in your marriage, with your kids, with what's going on in our community, maybe relationships in the church, just think about the cross. Think about the cross, what Christ did for us. As the choir sang, let the cross move us. The third thing about this joy of prayer is there's genuine joy despite imprisonment. Genuine joy despite imprisonment. Paul says, I'm praying with joy in prison, in prison, with joy. You may be thinking you need something else in your life for joy. Yes, I have Jesus, and yes, I have a church family. If I could just have a better job, if things are just better with my kids, if I could just have a better marriage, if I could just have a better house, if I could just have a longer vacation, and on and on and on. You know where joy comes from? A deeper walk with Christ. And Paul says through prayer, that's where it's coming from. If you read Psalm 42 and 43, you'll see the psalmist is depressed and discouraged and he's starting to whine about how bad things are, but in spite of it, he keeps going back to the fact that he has a relationship with God and there's hope in Christ. Go back to that when you're struggling. Whatever prison you're in, Whatever bondage you're in, go to the cross. Rejoice in that. So we need to know the joy of prayer. Secondly, know the joy of partnership. Know the joy of partnership. Look at verse 5. Paul says, I'm, I'm, I have this, uh, I'm praying for you because of our partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. This partnership. First of all, consider this gospel partnership. Think about it. Focus on it. The word koinonia occurs six times in this book, in this, this letter, in different terms. We've looked in different forms. We've looked at it already talking about fellowship, but it also means partnership. It also means to, be, to share. The true heart of, of biblical koinonia, biblical partnership, is sacrifice for a common vision. Just a couple of things I would say about this partnership. Two things, friendship and mission. If you want to write those down in your notes there. Friendship. These folks at, at, at Philippi came from different backgrounds. Some were, from, were Asians, some were from Rome, some were Greeks, some were total pagans, and they came together, some Jews, they came together with this friendship because of what Christ had done for them. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says about friendships, friendships are created when you say, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. Isn't that great? C.S. Lewis says that's what it is when you discover somebody that has something common in common with you. And when you meet another fellow follower of Christ, you can say the same, what, you too? I've experienced that. We have a bond. We have this, this friendship, common friendship that takes us deeper into joy. A common salvation, a common savior, a common calling is this friendship in Christ. You know, when a couple gets married, two sinners get married. When a church is formed, you have a bunch of sinners that come together under the cross, redeemed, but they're different, and they come together in one, and there's this this unique friendship in Christ. 
I was talking with somebody this morning about how things are not the answer. People are the answer. No one on their dying deathbed ever said, go get my trophies from Little League. I want to see them. Go get my degree off the wall. Go get my diploma. I want to see those things. You know what most people want on their deathbed? Bring the people around me who I love. Can we live every day like that? So Paul is advocating here. Well, there was this, this partnership that they had that was friendship, and that's part of that koinonia. But he, he talks about partnership in the gospel, and that's mission. That's the next word that I want you to, to think about there. They, their shared mission was to suffer for the gospel of Christ. It was not a, an audience of consumers that come together in church, but it was a group of, of co-laborers who are coming together to spread the gospel during the week. That's our commonality. That's our common bond. That we come together in Christ and we have a common mission to share the gospel with our gospel with our community. In his book, The Fellowship of the Rings, J.R. Tolkien illustrates the gospel partnership. I don't know if you know this, but Tolkien was a believer, and, and his movies, his books, his movies, haha, his books that were made into movies were all about the Christian life. And he wants to illustrate, wanted to illustrate this partnership in the gospel how God can bring together a radically diverse group of people with a common vision, a common mission. In the, in the Fellowship of the Ring, you've got the hobbits, you've got the dwarfs, you've got the angels, you, the, with the warriors, you've got the, the soldiers. They all come together, and they're, it's, it's, it's called the Fellowship of the Ring, and they're all out to rescue the ring with a common bond because of their mission. That's what we have in Christ, a common bond. Consider the gospel partnership, but cultivate them, secondly. Cultivate those gospel partnerships. How do you do this? When we're together, focus on our common bond we have in Christ. Talk about opportunities you have to share Christ. Talk about people you're praying for. Talk about uh, how you're asking God to use you in your workplace. Talk about the, the ministry that God is, is raising up around you. Center everything around Jesus. That's how you build and cultivate gospel partnerships. Paul is celebrating their partnership because they'd given him financial aid, they'd suffered alongside him, they prayed for him, and he was praying for them. That's how he was cultivating that, and I encourage you to do that too. Thirdly, know the joy of anticipation. Look at verse 6. Paul says, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He's anticipating what God is going to do in the life of that church at Philippi in that day and in the future. And he emphasizes God's grace. Emphasizes God's grace. God opened their hearts. And go, we go back to the, to the story in Acts where Lydia's heart, the Bible says, her heart was opened. And then how the Philippian jailer came to know Christ, not by works but by faith. And, and then how the church was birthed in their home there. And you, you just see this. How God's grace transformed that community and transformed that church. Sometimes in, in school, uh, I would turn in assignments and I would get, they'd write on it incomplete. You ever get one of those? I had a few of those the whole course, the whole, the whole semester, incomplete. God never gets an incomplete. He, he is faithful to complete what he started in us. Isn't that good news? That whatever he began when Christ 
saved you and you invited him into your life and God's Holy Spirit took up residence in you, God's going to complete that work. And, and Paul anticipates that. Kent Hughes says this, I, as I reflect on 50 plus years in Christ, it is indeed God who has kept me. It's not my grip on God that's made me, made a difference, but his grip on me. It's not that I'm confident in my goodness. I'm not confident in my character. I'm not confident in my history, my background. He said, I'm not even confident in my reverend persona. I'm not confident in my perseverance, but I am confident in God. That's what Paul does. He emphasizes the grace of God in his life and in the life of the Corinthians. When God works and does a work, let's emphasize that. And that leads me to the next point. There should be evidence of God's grace at work as you gather with the people of God. The, the lives of these believers, he says, I'm confident what God started in you, believers. He's going to complete it. He's going to demonstrate that he's faithful. There'll be evidence of God's grace when you look at another believer growing in Christ. So what are you anticipating? Paul is anticipating a completed work in those people, those followers of Christ, his fellow brothers and sisters in Philippi. What are you looking forward to? Friday? Vacation? A trip to Colorado? <laughs> a trip to the Bahamas? What are you looking forward to? Paul says, let's look forward to the completion of the work of God in our lives. I need to be as a pastor, as a shepherd, looking forward to how God's going to continue to mature us as a flock. Paul highlights one more thing in this prayer. He says, let's know the joy of affection. The joy of affection. Verse 7 and 8. It is right for me to think this way about all of you. It's interesting, he keeps saying all of you. It's like he wants to include those two ladies every time. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense of the establishment of the gospel. For it is, for God is my witness, how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Just to look quickly at these three things about that affection. It's a passionate affection. Paul says, I have you in my heart. Boy, it doesn't get much more passionate than that, does it? Paul says, in the depths of my heart. Sometimes Kelly will write a thank you note and she'll say, thank you from the bottom of my heart. What's that saying? From the depths of my heart. Paul says, this is a passionate love that I have for you. In, in chapter two, Paul says, I am being poured out like a drink offering for you. Poured out like an offering. Paul is literally willing to sacrifice his life for them. It's passionate, it's heartfelt. Do you have that for one another? To want to sacrifice for one another in the body? Then he says it's a proper affection. In verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way or to think this way about you. It's appropriate. It's a right kind of affection because we are partners together in the gospel. We may not look alike, talk alike, sound alike, have similar backgrounds, Think alike, but when it comes to the gospel, we do. We are alike. There's a unity there. We'll talk about that as we go through the rest of the book. And lastly, it's produced by Christ's affection. Verse 8, for God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul loves the church because Christ lives in him. 
You can love your fellow church members because Christ lives in you and lives in them. When I was at Golden Gate Seminary, one of the guys in our, in our D-men group taught us all a song. I'm not going to sing it, but here's the line in the song. The Jesus in me loves the Jesus in you because the Jesus in me, I can't remember the last part of it, but that's a good part of the song. The Jesus in me loves the Jesus in you. You may not find anything about that guy or that lady or that teenager or that child because they just don't, they, they hit you the wrong way, but because Christ died for them, there's this common affection. So this joy that Paul talks about, what's it gonna take to rob you of this kind of joy? Listen, if you don't have Christ, you're not gonna have this joy. This joy that supersedes circumstances. This joy that supersedes the pursuit of happiness. Without Christ, you won't know true joy. I invite you, if you don't know him, we'd like to lead you to trust him as your savior today. Let's pray together.